Let me open up my technology here. Arise, shine, for your light has come. We started talking about this, Isaiah chapter 60. We started talking about this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, me and Jackie have been sort of in one week and out one week and in one week. We're sort of like the yo-yo pastors at the moment, up and down, up and down. Uh, but that's because we had a whole bunch of commitments and things uh, for our children and that that were made, some of them before we even took on this church. So um, I think as of last weekend, things are settled down now, so we should be getting ourselves back into a bit... Uh, more of a rhythm. Having said that, we do not apologise for prioritising our children. And I'm, I'm sure that everybody here would understand that as well. Isaiah 60 verse 1 to 3 says this. This is the scripture upon which this church was founded. When uh, INC national leaders got together and Jim and Venice, pastors Jim and Venice from Seacoast, and they prayed and they sought God about planting a church here in Ganelaba. This is the passage that the Lord gave them from Isaiah chapter 60. Arise and shine. For your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we began to unpack that a little bit. and We talked about how arise, shine. It's not an option that God is giving to us. He's not asking us, are you interested in rising? Anyone interested in arising? Is there anyone out there you might be interested in doing a little bit of shining for us, maybe? Anyone want to do a bit of shining? Anyone? No? Yes? That's it. Well, look, I'm just throwing it out there, God says. I'm just throwing it out there to my people. I mean, if you want to, look, if you're interested in arising, come and see me. If you're interested in doing a bit of shining as well, come and see me. We'll chat. We'll see how it wasn't like that. This is God declaring you will arise and you will shine. This is a divine command from God, arise and shine. Why are we doing it? Because our light has already come. We don't arise and shine because we're trying to make something happen. We arise and shine out of response to something that has already happened, and that is that Jesus Christ has already come to the earth, has already suffered the cross, has already been buried, has already been risen again, has already gathered his believers, has already sent his spirit down here, and has already given us a command to go into all the world, preach the gospel, making disciples of all nations. Not some nations, not a few nations. That word nations in the Greek is the word ethnos. It literally means ethnic groups. So when we read that, we think nations as in Fiji and America. No, no, it means ethnic groups. How many of you know we are surrounded by many, many ethnic groups? Yeah? And I'm not just talking ethnicity as in your human uh, paradigm of where you come from. Man, I walk around the streets now and I think the age of 15 to 17 is an ethnic group. I mean, they eat different food to me. They certainly speak a different language to me. I don't understand a word they're saying. You know, when I was a kid, sick meant, give me a bucket. Apparently sick now means cool. You know, they, 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 they do um, all sorts of fancy hand signals and, 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 you know, something was bad once upon a time. It was bad. It meant bad. You know, bad as in don't do it. Now bad means really cool and let's mimic it. And, oh, man, that dude's so bad. Let's hang with him. It's like, I don't get it. If, if a dude was bad when I was a kid, you don't hang with the dude unless you want to become bad. But apparently bad is good. Apparently sick is cool. It's a totally different language, you know. You ever seen skaters, skatey kids? Skate? Man, their pants are down here. They've got about three inches of underpants hanging out the top and they all do it. It's just, it, it's, it's their group. It's their ethnicity. It's what they do, you know. They, they, they wear jeans that are halfway around their knees and then no shirt. It's like, well, are you hot or cold? 
Which one? You're wearing jeans. That tells me you're cold, but now you've got no shirt on, so you must be hot. Can you just make your mind up? Is it shorts and a singlet or your jeans and a shirt? You're confusing me. You're messing with my head. What's going on? But they're an ethnic group and they're important to God and they're valuable to God. And God loves them and God has a plan and God has a purpose for them. And God has only got one way that he's going to reach them. You know that? I've read the Bible many times. I just can't find God's plan B. It's not there. There is no plan B. Guess what plan A is? If you if you think you're plan A, put your hand up. You're plan A too, Jesse. Sit there and fold your arms all you want. You're plan A. Because you're sitting right under the aircon vent. Hang around long enough, you'll know exactly where to sit to keep away from... We are plan A. We are God's plan. And the call of God to arise and shine is not some passive, if you are interested, please fill out this application form and I will process your application and decide whether I feel like you're good enough. God says if you choose to arise and you choose to shine, if you put your hand up, (laughs) if you put your hand up and call upon the name of Jesus to save you, to give you life, to take away your sin, your disgrace, your shame, your muck, and exchange it for his righteousness. If you have done that, then you are not asked to arise, shine. You are commanded to arise and to shine out of a love response for what God has done for you. So a couple of weeks ago, if you weren't here, you can get on the um, iTunes uh, Arise Church, Lismore, I think it's called, and uh, go back and have a listen to, to that message. I'd encourage you, if you weren't here, please do do that because we outlined some stuff and, 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 and sort of painted a bit of a picture of what we want to look like as we go forward. Because not every church is for everybody. Amen? You know, some people like this style of church and some like that style and like flavours of ice cream. Find your flavour and dive into it and get into it. No one should be going to a church and sitting there feeling critical every week. If you're sitting here every week being frustrated because you don't like my preaching, that's okay. I, I probably, If I sat there, I probably wouldn't like my preaching either. But if you're sitting here and you're critical of the preaching or you don't think the church is doing this or it's not doing that, you know what? The best thing you, sh- you could do is to lift yourself up and to find a church doing those things because then you can turn that passion into a positive by getting on side and going, well, let me help with this. Let me dive into the kids' ministry. Let me dive into the, 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 the feeding, pro- whatever it is. Take that passion. Instead of allowing it to be a negative and a critical thing, flip it around and use it for a positive. Amen? Yep, but I'm assuming that we're here and because I keep seeing some of the same faces week after week, you feel within yourself a sense that God's got you here. Okay? So I preach from that place. But if you weren't here, grab a hold of that the iTunes thing, jump on and have a listen to it. Um, I was just thinking the other day, I don't know if you were, when you're children, I'm not a morning person. Who's a morning person here? You make me sick, morning people. They make me sick. They wake up in the morning and they can actually smile. They, you know, and they're genuine too. That's the thing. I've got to fake it. I've got to out of bed in the morning. If you, if you were to come and meet me early morning, I'll guarantee you right now the smile is fake. It's not real. Don't you be fooled by my fake smile. I cannot smile in the morning. I won't smile in the morning. I believe God made me that way. But I'll tell you what, after about 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, all you people who are smiling in the morning, try and have a conversation with them, they'll just sit there going, uh, 
Uh-huh. So your gift endeth and our gifteth begin. All right? So if you're a night person, you're probably a bit more like me. But how many of us, when we were young and we were sleeping in and, and that, that time of day would come, it was, it was, I don't know how to describe it. It, it was, it was painful. When somebody would come into your bedroom and they would say those words, arise, shine, come on, get up. You know, you know how it feels, don't you? You guys, all you children at home and mum and dad have to come on in in the morning because you don't be bothered to set your own alarm and get up to school yourself. But if you've got a soccer match, you'll be up at four and dressed and ready to go. I don't know how that works, but again, it's a cultural thing for young people these days. Are you the same? Yep, yep. If it's something you want, you can amazingly wake up hours before, be ready, dressed at the front door, have your breakfast already made and you did it yourself or because it's something you want to do. But, you know, if it's school, for example, man, you've got to come in, arise, shine, and we wake them and we say, come on, arise, shine, get up. But you know what? As the day goes on, you're glad you did. Because think of all the things you would have missed out on that day if you didn't make the choice and the decision to rise and to shine. Think of all the stuff you would have missed out. I'm not a morning person, but you know what? If I didn't get out of bed this morning, I would have missed seeing all your lovely faces. What a blessing. And I could have missed all that by simply deciding not to rise and deciding not to shine this morning. I've got a question for you. What are we missing out on? And more to the point, what do you think the world is missing out on when we fail to rise and shine? (laughs) What are we missing out on? What are you missing out on when you fail to take the call to rise and to shine in your life, in your spiritual walk with God? in your prayer life, in your giving, in your serving, and I'm not just talking about here at church putting out chairs, but just in in, in community in general. What are you missing out on when you don't prioritise a bit of time in this word every day? I'm not saying it has to be an hour. The Bible doesn't actually give you any indication of how, how much time you should spend in the Bible a day or how much time you should pray a day. Religion will tell you, and the answer from religion will always be a little bit more. A little bit more. As soon as you feel like you're going good, religion will go a little bit more. That's great, but I want a little bit more. Before you know it, you're praying and reading your Bible for 12 hours a day and you think you're going good and religion goes, well, that's great, but I need a little bit more. It never ends. The Bible itself doesn't tell me anywhere, quantify how much time I should pray or how much time I should read, but it does indicate to me that it should be a daily practice of mine, that I should be getting into the Word of God and I should be making time for prayer and communion with the Father. It's in there. But outside of that, what is the world missing out on? What's not happening out there because the church, myself included, are not taking up the challenge to rise and to shine the way that we should. I decided to go through the the, the Bible and particularly the New Testament and just have a look at a few of the times that God, that Jesus gave the invitation to somebody to rise. How many of you know there's many stories in the Bible where Jesus gave an invitation? And that's the way we need to see it. It's an invitation to arise. On the one hand, it's a command. We must do it. We need to do it because it's tied in with our salvation, which is tied in with the call of God upon our life, which is tied in with the cross, which was all about saving people. It's all intertwined. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. We've talked about this uh, passage a few weeks ago, Mark, uh, uh, Matthew chapter 4. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. If I flip that around and want to get dare to think of it this way, if I'm not fishing for men, am I really following Jesus? Because he said, follow me and I'm going to make you that. 
if you are looking at me, and if you are going with me, and if you are listening to me, and if you are responding to me, if you are doing that, I am making something out of you. And what am I making out of you? Ultimately, I'm making out of you a fisher of men. That's what I'm making out of you. It's an interesting thought. I'm not putting it on any. I'm just it's the, it's the way my brain is wired and I think about that. If I am following Christ in some way, shape or form, I must be fishing for men somehow because that's what he said he would turn me into. He didn't say, follow me and I'll make you a fantastic, successful businessman, full stop. Now, he may do that. Now, you take most of the, 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 the self-help seminars and motivational seminars and things that I've, I've got friends of mine that are right into all that scene and they've, they've got me to go along to those, you know, every now and then I wander into one of those seminars and you know what? Everything I'm hearing, I'm going, yeah, it's in there. Yeah, it's in there. I know where you got it from. It's in there. Yeah, it's in there. That's in the Bible. Yeah, Mark talks about it. Yeah, Matthew talks about that. Yeah, Jesus said that. They will never say it came from the Bible. But it's all coming out of here, you know? And so, yes, Jesus, you may be following Jesus and he may make you a fantastic, wealthy, rich, influential businessman. But there won't be a full stop. You'll be a rich, influential, wealthy businessman so that somehow in that realm, with the talents and gifts and things you have, you will be involved in fishing for men. Yeah? God may make you a teacher at a high school or a principal or whatever. He may make you the best principal or the best teacher in the state. Fantastic. He may do that. But he won't say, follow me and I'll make you the greatest principal in the state. Full stop. It doesn't read like that. I'll make you the greatest principal in the state so that somehow, some way, I can use you to be a fisher of men. There's no full stop. Everything that we do somehow is leading to the salvation of those who do not know Christ. The way I see it, if what I'm doing is not somehow going to lead to that, I ask myself the question, well, why am I doing it? That's just me personally. I'm not putting that on anyone. But I think, well, why am I doing that? Could I be spending my time better? Is there something else, Lord, that you want for me? Because I've only got X amount of years on planet Earth and I'm gone. And you've only got X amount of years on planet Earth and you're gone. And my time of influence is now. My time to work is now. Your time of influence is now. Your time to work and put your hand to the plough is now. There'll be no ploughing needed when you get to heaven because you're going to be hanging around with people that have already been brought in, with a harvest that have been brought in. But now is the time. And I think pivotal to this is our decision and our choice to take that invitation of Christ and to rise. Just really quickly, while we finish up, what happens when we take up the invitation to rise? In Mark chapter 2, verse 1 to 12, we've got a story of a paralytic that gets lowered down through the roof. We all know the story. And his buddies brought him along. And the Bible says they ripped the hole in the roof and they lowered him down into the midst of Jesus. What a, I love that story. It's a fantastic story. It's a good story for men. It's a great story for men. Mates helping a mate. I love it. I love it. We'll, we'll do that. We'll, we'll, we'll do, do a men's thing one day and we'll talk about mates helping mates because I think that's a great example of mates helping a mate. It's good stuff. But what happened as a result of that? Well, the Bible says that, that they, they, they got him down and Jesus walked over to him and said, right, you know, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees aren't up and go, oh, who do you think you are forgiving sins? 
And Jesus, being smart, went, well, you know what, it's easy to say words in. I could say your sins, I mean, I can say to you, your sins are forgiven, but really, is, is there any power in that? I can, I can trick you. People have done it throughout the ages. Started cults and religious movements and so on because they've fooled people into thinking, I can forgive your sins. And so they bow to them. But Jesus is smart. He says, right, yeah, well, you can accuse me of that. But hey, has anyone else done this? Get up, mate, and pick up your mat. And so this guy takes the invitation when Jesus says to him, arise and walk. He takes the invitation and he gets up. And the Bible says that all who were there glorified the Father. They glorified God. When you take the invitation to rise up, one of the things that happens is that God gets glory. God gets glory for you doing things that you didn't think you'd be able to do. Imagine being this paralytic, lying there, and Jesus, this man walks over. Jesus didn't make him get up. Jesus just extended the invitation. Jesus said to him, arise. Did you know he would have had to, in his brain and his synapses, think, I'm going to try to move my legs? There would have been a process of chemical reactions that had to take place. You know what it's like when you when you can't move a body part, you can't move a body part. And after a while of trying to move it, you know that when I do it hurts or whatever, you just stop. You just stop. I've got drop foot in my right foot. I, I went to bed one night about four or five years ago, something like that. Woke up the next day. And I'm walking around the house getting the kids ready for school. Jackie was away. And I kept tripping over. And I thought, gee, I'm clumsy today, aren't I? So I got the kids ready for school. I sent them off to school. I went into work. I kept tripping over at work. I thought, what's going on? I got home that day and I took my shoes off and I'm, this is fine. I can't lift that foot off the ground. And I've got no muscle that runs down the front of my leg now. I've had operations and specialists and everything and about six months ago the doctor said, that's over, we can't help you anymore. That's just the way it is. But I'll tell you what, I am consciously aware of what that leg can and cannot do and when if somebody was to say to me, kick a ball with this right foot, I wouldn't even try because I can't do it anymore without it flopping around like a piece of jelly. So can you imagine this paralysed man when Jesus comes and says, get up? He would have had to have made some really, really hard choices because everything within his brain... And everything within his experience would go, I can't do it. I can't do it. I've tried before to flex that muscle. It doesn't work. I don't want to get my hopes up again. I don't want to try again. I don't want to put in the effort. I don't want to look like an idiot in front of all these people. It would have been so easy just to maybe laugh at Jesus and save face and not try, and then Jesus might have looked like the clown. But he didn't. He put the time and the energy and the effort and he did what he what he could do. I'm sure he wouldn't have just been able to spring up, but maybe he thought, I'll just try to wiggle my toe first. And, and as he started to wiggle his toe, a miracle happened. All of a sudden, his toes started going. And then maybe he thought, oh my goodness, I haven't done that for eight years. And then he started twisting his ankles. And then maybe he dared to go, well, I wonder if I could lift my, my knee. My knee's going. And then maybe he lifted the other leg and maybe he swiveled his hips and, and then through a, a, a series of events, he managed to stand up in front of the crowd and the crowd glorified God. All because one man took Jesus' invitation to arise. And it's the same in our lives. It's not just what happens in you when you rise up. It's what happens in those around you. It's what happens in the world around you. It's how God takes that. And people out there go, this is... How could... You can't do that. I know who you are. I know who you are. You can't, you can't be successful 
in, in business. I know who you are. You couldn't get up in front of people and speak. I know who you are. You couldn't, you couldn't do, be a counsellor. I know who you are. You couldn't do this. I know who you are. Mate, when I got saved, I was 19 years of age. I gave my heart to Christ. Six months later, I got whisked off to an organisation called Youth with a Mission. And I did a training school with them and did some missions work. And when I got saved, my father wanted me to go and see a psychiatrist. He didn't tell me this. He told his partner who told me on the side. She said, your dad actually thinks you've gone crazy. I don't know where the crazy was. I'm out here doing the stuff that I shouldn't be doing. Then Jesus comes into my world and all of a sudden I become sane and my father thinks now I'm crazy. <laughs> what a twisted world. All of a sudden he's not going out all night drinking with his mates. He's not doing this. He's not coming home with this. He's not... And he's gone crazy. I think, Lord Jesus, give me crazy children. I want crazy children. If that's crazy, that's what I want. And he told his partner that I want Alan to see a psychiatrist because he's gone crazy. So she tells me about this. You know what? I went off. I did six months. I did some training. I went overseas to Indonesia, uh, to, to uh, Malaysia. It was a miracle of God he provided for me. Um, I came from extremely uh, not an affluent background whatsoever. We never had money. Uh, I didn't know how this was going to happen. Uh, God spoke to people all around the country. Some people who I had had nothing to do with for literally years and years who just felt upon their heart they didn't even know what I was doing. Uh, Alan, we just felt like the Lord spoke to us to give you money to help you with this and to help you. And, and so I got this great experience and I remember getting in my car at the end of it and driving back to Ballina. And I walked, I, I, I parked the car at Trigland's Present in Ballina where my dad lives. And I got out and I walked to the front door and I knocked on the door and my father being the, the extreme social animal that he is stayed there sitting in his chair and said, come in. So I walked in. How are you, Dad? Good, mate, how are you? Yeah, good. And then it came straight away. So now what are you going to do with the rest of your life? <laughs> and I thought, here we go. My defences started to go up. I thought he's going to have a go at me. He's going to you know, tell me I've just wasted six months of my life. I should have been doing something else, whatever. And as the defences are going up, he looked me in the eye and he said, you know what, Alan? I think you should go back to that group you just came from. Because he'd seen the change in my life. He'd seen who I was. He might not have voiced it, but he knew where my life was heading. And in that short amount of time, 12 months of being saved, he saw what God had done in my world. And you know what he did when he made that statement? Without realising it, he glorified God. He glorified God. Without, him, without saying the words, I glorify the Jesus that you worship. The very fact that he looked at me and he saw the change and he knew. And it's been a long journey with my dad, but he spent some time in church over the years now since that moment. Uh, he actually built by his own hands. He helped build a church there in Ballina that uh, we used to work for. He came in five days a week and cut up metal and welded and put it together and he would sit up the back, come along Sundays and he'd sit up the back and, and so on. And I remember busting him about five years ago. I walked into his house one day and I don't think he realised I'd knocked at the door and I walked in and he was sitting there reading a Bible. Reading the Bible, I thought, thank you. Thank you, God. So what happens when we arise? God gets glory. And we accept that invitation. Second thing that happens is that mindsets are challenged, and we've just talked a bit about that. How many of you know people have a mentality about the church? People have a mentality about God. And most of the time their mentality is based on either their experience or the experience of somebody else that they've passed on to them. Now people think that those in the church, that we're intellectually inferior. We must be somewhat stupid because we believe this 
guy died on a cross 2,000 years ago and somehow that has a relevance to us in the year 2016 here in Lismore. People think that we're just a little bit behind the eight ball when it comes to intelligence. You know, ever encounter that? As soon as you, you go to church or something, there's this thought that, well, okay, well, you're a little bit maybe loopy too because there's this loopy weirdness about you because you believe in things that are unseen. It's called faith. Everybody has it, but very few people realise it. All of my mates outside the church have faith. They just don't realise it. It's directed into other things. It's the same principle. It's faith. But they think that we're just that little bit intellectually behind the eight ball. We're, we're unsuccessful people. We're, we're not savvy with our finances. Uh, we're, we're a bunch of people who just simply couldn't make it in the real world. You ever heard that? I've heard that many times. You just can't, you need Jesus because you just can't make it in the real world. So let's come to church with a whole bunch of other delusioned people and let's create this imaginary world that we could all live in together. Let's have our imaginary God time together, you know? Wow. Let me tell you something. The cost of following Christ, the relationships I have lost, the things that I have been called, the, the stigma that you sometimes walk down the street with, I don't think it's worth an imaginary lifestyle to put up with some of that stuff. Amen? There's, there's a cost involved when we put our hand up to follow Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. And I, I, I think the cost is too high for this to be an imaginary thing. A little bit like the early church disciples. You've all heard that old uh, gospel track. Uh, was it uh, liar, lunatic or lord? You ever heard that one? With the early disciples. There was only, there's only, only one of three things you can be and I think it stands true today. There's only one of three things you can be if you're going to follow Christ. Jesus was either a liar, a lord or a lunatic. If he was a lunatic, he was a pretty good lunatic because he healed people, paralyzed people, got up. His lunatism made him smarter than the Pharisees who'd studied the Bible from start to finish all their lives. He confounded them. He spoke with more authority. If he's a lunatic, he was a brilliant lunatic. Or he was a liar. If he was a liar, he was so incredibly confused because he actually died for that lie. Not only did he die of a ripe old age, sitting at home reading a book, he was physically taken and had every opportunity under the sun to say, hang on a second, boys, I've taken this joke too far. Okay, I'm not really God. Take me down, please. Let me go. Sorry, I'll hold a press conference, apologise to the world. Look, I just want to apologise for pretending I was like the son of God. Sorry. And retreat back to a house somewhere in the hills and live to a long old day. But he didn't. So it doesn't make sense that he was a liar. The only option is he must be the Lord. He must be Lord. And if he's the Lord, then we're not imagining anything. We're following the right one. Jairus' daughter was at home. Jairus' daughter had died. And Jairus goes to Christ and says, come and cut a long story short, Jesus ends up at the house. And the Bible says when he got there, they said, oh, the child's dead. And Jesus said, no, no, the child's just having a sleep. God sees things different to us. He's just having a sleep. And the Bible says that they all laughed at him. They all mocked him. And so he puts them all out of the room and he just keeps Peter, James and John with him and he tells Jairus' parents, come on in. And he prays for the girl and he says, arise. And even though she's dead, she takes up the invitation to arise and she gets up. And the Bible says that when she got up, that there was great amazement amongst those people that were present. They went from ridiculing him to having great amazement. In the Greek, that word great amazement means a throwing around of the mind out of its normal state. And when we take up the challenge to arise, our lives become a testimony. 
of the goodness of God. Our lives become an opportunity for people's mindsets to be rattled and changed. Hang on a second. How, are you, how can you do that? Who do you think you are? I know you. And all of a sudden, people's mentalities are rattled. Their mindset's about the church. You mean, seriously, so you're a millionaire and you'll follow Jesus. It doesn't make sense. Doesn't the church take all your money? How can you actually even have any money and still be following Jesus? Because doesn't the church take all your money? You're a university professor and you follow Jesus. Well, hang on a sec. Aren't those people who... How can you be a university professor, be that intelligent on one hand, but then be a complete spooky over here because you're following this Jesus thing that's so intellectually unsensible, it's not funny. How can you be... And as we arise and we take up the challenge of following Christ, God uses our life to challenge people's mindsets. Again, people won't necessarily tell you, but your life, as Paul wrote it, your life is a living epistle. You're a living letter to the world around you. Being read every day, sometimes you know it, sometimes you don't. But people look at us. And as we take the challenge to arise, as we take the challenge to step into what God has for us, Mindsets get challenged. Just real quickly. As we arise, we experience freedom. Who remembers the story of Joseph? Little baby Jesus, Joseph and Mary. And Herod was going to kill all the children. And an angel came to Joseph and extended an invitation to him. The angel said, Joseph, arise. Take your family and flee to Egypt. Imagine if Joseph didn't arise. Imagine if Joseph stayed there. Maybe we wouldn't be sitting here today. Who knows? I don't know. What I do know is that the story of Jesus would look a little bit different. But Joseph took up the challenge and he arose. And then some years down the track when Herod was killed, an angel comes to him again and says, Arise and go to Israel. And so Joseph arises and goes again. When we choose to arise, we choose to walk into freedom. God brings freedom into our lives. You know, there are areas of your world where you are bound by fear, bound by your past, bound by bitternesses, bound by hurts and disappointments. And God comes to you and he whispers in your ear and he challenges you and he says, rise up out of that. Come on, make a choice. Take some steps. Get up. Walk away from that. Start to choose to respond to me. When I say to you, go and speak to that person, do it. When I say to you, stop thinking that way, then then do it. When I say to you, uh, stop hanging around that crowd, do it. When I say to you, stop saying that about yourself, Do it. When I say stop thinking like that about yourself, do it. And every time we take that challenge and we rise up, guess what? It creates freedom in our life. Everything God's calling you to is to make you more human, to bring you to a place of freedom, to bring you to a place of wholeness. Because the more free and the more whole I am, the more glory God gets out there. The more that the world looks at the church and goes, wow, these guys mean business. I don't want to be sitting here in 10 years' time dealing with the same issues that I'm dealing with now. Because I'll guarantee this, God hasn't been sitting back for 10 years going, stay there, great. That is fantastic. That's a great place you're wallowing in right there. That pit, that's that's actually a really good pit you've dug for yourself. Just stay there. You know? He's saying, no, climb out, come on. Come on, church, rise up. Rise up in your faith. Rise up in your belief. Rise up in God. Fourth thing that happens is faith replaces fear. 
Read through the stories and every time that Jesus came and he said, arise and gave the invitation, faith would rise up and fear would be replaced with faith. God wants us to be people of faith. Fifth thing is that the father runs to meet us. Look at the story of the prodigal son. The Bible says that the son sat there eating rubbish that he was feeding to the pigs and he came to his senses and it says he said to himself, what am I doing this for? Why am I doing this? I should just go back home to my father and be honest and go, you know what, I blew it. I repent. I've made a mistake. I've done some dumb things. And the Bible says then he, when he said that to himself, he arose. He got up and he started walking towards his father's house. And the Bible says that his father was sitting there on a chair, on the deck, looking down the road, watching, in great expectation. You know, God is sitting today in expectation of you making the choice to change. God is sitting there in expectation waiting for you to make the decision to get up and start moving forward with your life and start moving forward with your faith and your passion and your commitment. He's sitting on the porch waiting and the Bible says that when he saw his son coming down the road that the father got up and ran, ran as undignified as you can be, bolted down the street to meet him. The minute you make the choice to arise, all the power of heaven comes to you to help you with whatever it is that you're being challenged about. Whatever area of your world you're being called to get out of, the minute you make that choice and you take that first step, all of heaven comes running to you. And lastly, the sixth thing that happens when you make the choice to rise, accept the invitation, is that people get saved. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. We'll just read this and we'll finish up. Acts chapter 9, verse 32 to 35. It says, Now it came to pass, as Peter went through all parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. There he found a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you, arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. So all who dwelt in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. That's an amazing response. One man took the invitation of God to do something that he couldn't previously do. And as a result of doing that, the power of God hit him, got behind him, pushed him forward. And the Bible says that all who dwelt in Sharon and Lydda came to Christ because of what had happened. You know, it's amazing when you go through the Bible. Now, I've done this because I used to teach on this. You go through the book of Acts and you look at how many times it says, and when they saw, they believed. 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 You know what they saw? They saw believers getting healed. They saw believers making right choices. They saw believers believing. They saw believers stepping out in faith. They saw believers doing things that their socioeconomic spectrum and background told them they should never be able to do. They saw people doing things that they were intellectually told they'd never be able to do. They saw people doing things physically that they were told they would never be able to do. As a result of rising up and making that choice and going forward, allowing God to get behind and push us in that direction, as a result of that, people get saved. And I guess that's the challenge for us as a church. The church does not exist for the sake of the church. Amen? Can we amen that? The church does not exist for the sake of the church. The church exists for the sake of a lost, a dying and a hurting world. 
and we can come here every Sunday and get ourselves pumped up and so you know I work uh, down uh, down in Balna there and and uh, I have a full time job I don't do this full time um, but one of the things we do every morning at my work is we get together and we have a thing called a huddle now what we do in the huddle is we get everyone together and we go over some things about the day. Okay, guys, we may have uh, mystery shoppers coming in today. Here's what they might look like. They'll actually just be ready. Um, we've got this sales challenge coming up. There's a new product launch coming. Uh, everybody's got to be all over it. The rep- reps are going to be coming in the shop looking, make sure we've got the display built over here. And we go through all the stuff. But the idea of the huddle is to set us up so that we can go out into the rest of the day and be successful and do it well. And that's what church is. This is really just like a huddle before work. We gather in here this morning, we, we worship, we get into the word of God, we hear a bit of a message, but it's a huddle. And we get challenged and we leave this place. And then what we should be doing is taking the stuff that God deposits in our world here, out there, and the huddle should really have an impact on the rest of the week. If it doesn't, it's just another meeting. Join the Lions Club, I think they meet Thursdays, you can have your weekends back. Rotary, probably Wednesday nights, you know what I mean? I mean, that's real, is it not? We're here to make a difference. God is here to make a difference. And the way that we do that is we choose to rise up and to stand with God and join with God. Amen? Amen. Let's just close our eyes for a second. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the invitation that you've made to us to arise, God. Father, I pray for each of us, Lord, that we would take that invitation seriously. God, we wouldn't be complacent about our faith. We wouldn't be complacent about our life, God. We have 20, 30, 50, God, 60, 80, even if it's 100 years left, that's all we have. And the years are going by like that. Father, shake us up. Speak into our spirits, God. Show us, God, a vision beyond ourselves, Lord. God, not just what can we get out of you, not just what can we get out of church, not just what can we get out of the Holy Spirit, but what can we give of the Holy Spirit to the world? What can we give of ourselves to to the body of Christ and to those that are outside the body? God, what can we give to make a difference, Father? We don't want to be here playing religious games and playing church, God. I have no time for that, neither does anybody here. We don't need it. We want reality. We want the Holy Spirit. We want the power of the Spirit. We want to hear the voice of God. And we want to take that out there into a lost and dying world and know that when we leave this place and we stand before you and you look us in the eye and you say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your rest. That's what we want to hear, Father. The Lord, use us. Holy Spirit, use us. In this week to come, weeks to come, months to come. Cause us to rise up, join with you. And do our bit, Father, to reach out to a lost, a dying and a hurting world. God, give us strategies. Use us within our own personalities, God, within our own gift mix, God, within our own sphere of influence and relationships. Use us, Father, for your glory, God. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless. Don't run off. We've got tea and coffee up the back. Uh, Ladies, those of you that have, have already seen Jackie about doing this course, I think she's going to go next door and uh, have a bit of a chat about that. Other than that, have a fantastic week. Uh, Hopefully we'll see you next week. Those of you that are visiting, go back to your churches, serve your churches, serve your community, have a great time. And over coffee, make sure you talk to somebody you haven't spoken to before.
Jesus bled and died for me.